Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. This teaching series called Flawed, as some of you have been participating for many weeks here today. And I've learned in my life that taking time, taking time to reflect over the summer, that I have flaws. I know it's hard to believe, but I have, you can talk to my family, they can give a list. But I've learned in my time in the sabbatical away, I took some time to reflect. I really did. Some work in many weeks that I was away. And it's so, it was such a privilege and opportunity. And I, I am so, so grateful. If you are here last week, I shared uh, how much the, the gift that I received that the local leadership here and a part of Christ the King. And we had, a, we had a great staff and leaders that just did a great job all summer long. And, and so I really appreciate that. Tyler's back. He was on vacation. Tyler, thank you for somebody had the hand on the wheel here a little bit this summer. And that was you. And I really appreciate your pastoral leadership. So let's give him a hand. Eric was around here somewhere and you met some of our staff, you know, you know that someone came up, somebody came up to, uh, last week, oh, you're the guy in the video that there, you saw me this summer. So if we're new, if you're new with us, I'm, I'm, ba- I'm back here to be a part of this church. And I'm so excited to continue to be your pastor, to continue to move into the fall and what God, God has for us. So this summer, I, as I was taking time to back away and reflect, one of the things that was rec- recommended to me is part of my sabbatical, you know, plan was to go see a counselor. And I don't know if they thought maybe I needed it or what, but it really was a benefit. I didn't really want to do that. Honestly, I'm like, I just want to relax. I don't want to look at my problems, right? And, and it was really good that we're able to do that. Somebody please get your car fixed there. I don't know what's going on. But... So I took some time with the counselor, and what I found in my life was this, that yes, we all have issues, and there's some things, but what surprised me was that there was an issue that I thought I got over. I really thought it's behind me in my stage and age of life, and you might even be surprised as I share what, what the issue is, because from a at least a distance vantage point, you think I, this wouldn't be a problem that I had, but I spent some time as unpacking it all uh, with the gentleman I was meeting with, and I, I realized it's still there. It's like it, it's an under issue that, that's still kind of lingering in my life, and I've compensated for it, and I've done things, and I'm better than I was and all that, but it's still there, and I would tell you this, it's there enough that it affects my life, and it affects my relationships, and it affects my leadership. It, it, it's how I filter in making decisions. It has to do with my reaction to situations and conflict. It has to do with how I, as I said, make decisions and also in relationships and, and how I move forward and the actions that I take and what, how, how I communicate. And the issue that I struggle with is insecurity. And it, and we coined it in a, in a phrase that I want to talk about here this morning. What, for me, that speaks to me is kind of what I, I've, I've put together. It's called a B-team mentality. Now, I don't know if you, 
you know, play sports and understand you got, you know, you got A teams and B teams and, you know, usually the, the A teams on a, on, a, on a team, you know, they're the starters, they're the best players and they get to, they get to, you know, be the one that's, you know, all about winning the game and, and, you know, you send your best in with your A team. Now, they get a little bit tired, you they need a rest, and so you put your bench in, which is your B team, and they, they play for a while, and then, and then hopefully they don't, you know, lose momentum, and then the A team comes back, and then sometimes at the end of the game, and my coach, and I've done this before, I pull my A team um, because we're so far ahead, and you put the B team players because they're in development and let them finish out. Hopefully, they're not going to blow the lead, or it's the opposite. And is, you know, that you're so going to lose, like there's no way you're ever going to win. We'll just let the B team players play, right? And, and this mentality is 18 B team really was something that was embedded in me. And it started really like this. It was when I was in high school and actually growing up, I loved basketball. I really loved playing it. And I actually did fairly well for my age because I was always big for my age. And then through middle school, I did really well. And then in high school, like you show up, kids are going to show up to school this next week and go, wow, everybody got bigger around me. Like all my friends got taller and stronger and faster. And there's me. And I began to move down the bench a little bit. No longer starting on the team. I'm at the end of the bench. In my, in my actually junior year, I got cut from the team. I got cut from the, I wanted to make varsity. And man, that was devastating for me. But it was interesting that there was a turning point. It was really where I started really following Christ. I, it was a time I allowed myself to be discipled and I'd grown. And I, I look back in this, at that time, as much as that was hard for me, it was a turning point for me. Well, a few years later, I began to you know, discover a calling that God had for me in vocational ministry, just similar. I know Daniel's been experienced that light. There's something kind of full time that God has. And and so after a couple years at the first church I was youth pastor at, my, my pastor sat me down. He says, uh, things aren't working out. He says, I'm going to have to let you go. And I'm like, what did I do? Did I, you know, and what come to find out, it wasn't anything I did immoral. It wasn't anything, anything my character, anything like that, which was good to hear. But what was really difficult, he says, uh, you're just not cutting it. You're just not cutting it. I'm like, why? What, why is this not? It was all on performance. I was not performing the way he wanted me to. And so I pressed a little bit and asked questions. Well, why? What's... He goes, well, let's put it this way. There's A team players and there's B team players. And I just see you as a B team player. <sighs> and I dealt with that in my life for decades. And I thought I was over it. I thought I dealt with it. I didn't yet. It was still a part like I said earlier, the decisions I made and how I reacted to life and in my leadership. And so I don't know about you, and I hope this will speak to, I think, a lot of us today. When we're dealing with insecurities in our life, it becomes a huge issue. And, and I don't know if you've had a B-team moment. Maybe, maybe you have and you're like, oh, you can, in fact, bringing it up kind of scars you a little bit. Like, oh, I, I remember those times. It, it, you didn't cut it. You didn't make it. You, didn't, you got passed over. You're told, thank you, but no thank you. You're not management material. Have you heard that before? I don't know if, you know, you don't have to be a pastor or player or employee or employer or even a parent we all could say we've experienced moments of insecurity in our life that really have shaped our identity. And that's why this flawed series, I think, is really, really powerful because I think you caught the theme 
flawed that throughout the summer, as much as we kind of lift up the heroes of faith in Scripture as, as Hebrews 11 uh, lists and describes, all of them have this characteristic that they're really kind of, in the world's mind, not, they're not good enoughs. They didn't make it. They don't cut it. They're not quite what the world would consider the best. And yet God used them. Why? Because they, they chose to walk in, in faith. And this series is interesting where it's kind of funny. At the end of Hebrews 11, there's a list that it's almost like the writer, he kind of like, did he run out of energy or parchment? Because <laughs> he says this, and we're going to jump to this verse like we did last time was this. It says, what should I say? I, I don't have time to talk about Gideon. And then he lists others, Samuel and David. And, that, and I thought that was kind of funny. Like, well, actually, I'm going to take some time to talk about, Dave, uh, about, about Gideon today. So I'll take time to do that here this morning and talk about Gideon. And Gideon is this example, I would say, of a, of a, a B-team mentality guy that we're going to look with that I, I, have really, I relate with so well. But I want to give you a backdrop of what's going on. And Jason Manning, Pastor CTK, Sudden Valley last week, he, talk, he touched on this a little bit when he talked about Samson, who was one of the judges. There's, there's I think there's 12 judges listed in, 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 in the book of Judges. And these judges God raised up to break a cycle that was happening in Israel. And Gideon was one of these judges. And what would happen was this, is that, and it's, I think it's similar to our own life at times, where we go along and, and life is really, really good. And we would say, we're, we're following God. And then we coast a little bit. It's funny when we, people turn away from God, it's either when things are really, really bad or things are really, really good. Have you noticed that in your life? And you can kind of coast a little bit. And things are good. And, and so what happened is the people would turn away from the Lord and they would begin to worship other idols, other neighboring nations who worship other, other gods in a sense, right? False gods. And so what happened is, obviously God... Lord, God's not pleased with that. And so they were disobedient. And so then he would allow enemies to come in and invade them and take them over. And then they're in captivity. And then the people would cry, God, 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 help us, help us, help us. We're sorry, sorry, sorry. And then God would raise up a leader, like one of these judges come in and straighten things out and say, listen, you guys need to turn back to God. And they would print, and they would turn back to God. And then God would rescue them and they would follow God. We love you. We're going to follow you. And then the whole cycle starts again. We catch Gideon on the dark, the downturn of this cycle. In Judges 6, it says this. This is what it's described. It says that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them the hands of the Midianites. God, in his great mercy, pours out, out of his great love, out of his great care, hears the cry of the people again, or at least a few of them, and comes to the rescue using a guy, as, he, as we look here, who is, is far from perfect. Not, not who you describe as the poster hero at all, Gideon. And you know where God finds Gideon? Hiding. The hero, one of these heroes of faith, is hiding. And, and God sends a messenger, an angel to Gideon, 
while getting his, and this is kind of interesting detail, he's threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press. Now, back away from modern farming, and I don't know if you've done any threshing wheat by hand, but basically how it works is you would have kind of this little kind of, you know, bowl kind of in cave kind of thing, and this little place in the, in the ground where it would kind of collect the kernels of wheat, and what you do is you do it out in the open is you would kind of toss up the, the wheat, you know, shaft, and then and that would blow away, and you'd have these kernels of wheat at the bottom, and so you would do it out in the open where there's wind blowing at pitchfork or by hand, and so getting his threshing wheat in a wine press, which is enclosed area, and like, that's not a great place to do that. There's not much wind. Why was he doing that? He was hiding because he was in fear. He was scared. He was scared because of the, the oppression of, the, of these, these Midianites. It's kind of like the bully stealing your lunch money. Like, he was afraid. Someone's going to come along. He's going to do this harvesting. And someone's going to come along and, and bully him, steal away. That, that, was, that was the mentality he was living. It was a B-team mentality. He is lesser. They're the, they're the A-team. They're the people that, and, and he, he lived under this oppression. I tell you, how many times we can probably relate with that at moments, and maybe even ask yourself, have you ever at times, because of fear, changed your route of life? Have you, because of fear, avoided a situation, you know? Maybe this, I'm sure it's not you guys, it's probably the first service people that did this, is what they would do is, is they would go in the grocery store and you would see someone in the, in the grocery store and you quickly turn away. <laughs> like, oh, they're over there. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. A lot of first service people probably did that, but <laughs> not you guys here. You, 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 honestly, you, there's moments like, oh, there they are. And there's a person you need to talk to and you need to confront. And you're like, I don't, there's fear because you want to avoid them. I saw it this summer. Some of you avoided me. And, and uh, they're like, oh, he's on a sabbatical. I don't want to talk to him. We do that, don't we? Do we drive a different route? Do we go a different way in our workplace to avoid someone or a situation? We don't want to think about that. We don't want to go this way. We just, we do that. And we do that out of fear. And in some ways, Gideon was changing his life, curbing his life. He lived this beat-in mentality, this lesser life, and, and settled for this lesser life. Well, God speaks to him and says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's quite the greeting. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you read that and going, huh, no. The Lord is with you, mighty wimp, right? You're hiding, you're scaredy cat. But it's interesting, Gideon's response to that. I love it. He says, pardon me, Lord. It's like he's polite. <clears throat> pardon me, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? See, that's a B-team mentality response. And we're all caught up in doing that. If the Lord is with us, why is this happening to us? What, what is he talking about? Why is happening? The oppression that they were experiencing. And I think all of us could say that times for us as well. Someone way more spiritual comes along in our life, and we're down, and we're discouraged, and we're not sure which way to go. And someone comes along and says, hey, mighty warrior, bu buckle up. You're going to be okay. The Lord is with you. And you're like, uh, I don't, not feeling that. In my midst of my suckiness, no, it doesn't feel very good right now. The Lord is with me, really? 
It kind of feels like opposite, that God's kind of distant. He doesn't really care. And that was really Gideon's response to it. He says this, we're all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now, okay, all that happened, yes, we heard stories and how God rescued us and it was great. And grandma and grandpa talked about it and it was really neat how we got through it all and all great. But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us the hand of Midian. Okay? This, a lot of times on beats him mentality, this victim mentality. We're oppressed, we're trapped, God's abandoned us. That's the response. Well, guess what? God didn't give up. He said, the, the Lord turned to him and said, go, I want you to go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Well, listen to Gideon's response. <clears throat> Pardon me, my Lord. Again, very polite. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Massey. I am the least in my family. <laughs> Gideon is basically saying this. Do you know who I am? <laughs> Do you know who I'm really not? Have you met my family? Like, we're, you know, we're from, you know, where, nowhere, and, and, and no, no people. I mean, seriously, are, have you seen, have you been to my family reunion this summer? I mean, that's not the sharpest tools in the shed these people are, okay? You need to realize our family is not, and, and not only top of that, I'm the runt in the family. I'm the least of the least of the least. Are you kidding me? And, and, and so we, we can look at that. Now, we don't want to beat up getting too much because we all have done that before. Because I don't think any of us are waking up in the morning going, greetings, mighty warrior. You know, you're in the mirror. Like, no, we're like, oh, another morning. Okay, it's just me. And, and here's Gideon having to hear this, that he's supposed to step up in a sense, not to be a wimp, but to be this, this warrior. Can I encourage you, as much as might be a few of you are kind of thinking you're all that, most of us are going, oh, I kind of feel like there's more wimpy days than more warrior days. But listen, it, it, if our identity is not, again, not in who we're not, it's in who we are. If you're a follower of Christ, can I remind you who you are? You and I are called not to be wimps, but to be warriors. And I believe there's a, there's a decision that each of us make a day when it comes to that. And it's this, and I just want to put it together with this one thought. It's this, is that our, 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 it's our choice to step out of our insecurity into God's strength. It's our choice to step out of our insecurity into God's strength. And this step is a step of faith. And we've seen it time and time again, all these flawed heroes of faith that we looked at this last summer. summer. And Gideon's response is pretty powerful. In fact, you can read about it on your own in Judges 6, where Gideon goes and he makes a sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice offering. And that's how people worship God back in the day. They, they worshiped him and they made a commitment to the, to the Lord. But there was a greater work that God was going to do. Yes, God was calling Gideon to defeat this enemy that we're going to be looking at. But there was a greater work that needed to happen first. And Gideon's task was to call people back to God. The task was for them to turn their hearts back from worshiping idols and, and, and to worship with the one true Lord God. And so Gideon tears down these shrines that people put up. And, the, and basically, he steps out, out of his B-team mentality and gets some boldness and gets his crew together. And over the, all night, they tear down these idols. 
Verse 28 says, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asher pole behind it cut down and the second bull sacrifice on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? Can I, can I encourage this? Anytime we step out of our insecurity into something that God calls us to do, not everybody's going to like it. Have you discovered that before? Because there's this realm of comfort and security that we have that not everybody is, is with it. We, reality is we all have idols. So what happens when it comes to how do we step out of our, our security into God's strength is know this, and you can write this in, surrender is the first step in the fight. We're going to look at a, a battle that's going to take place, but surrender is the first step in the fight. And you're thinking, oh, I think that's backwards. Like, I think we sh- the fight is the fight, right? Surrender is actually first. And what Gideon, God was challenging Gideon to do is to challenge the people to turn their hearts back to him. Can I tell you, some of you are trying to figure out why you're not strong in your faith. You're, you're trying to figure out why are you not growing in your faith. You're trying to figure out what's happening, what's going on in your life. Is it possibly that the battle is not out there, that the battle is right here. See, Gideon came to this place and the people didn't like what it was doing because he was stirring it up. He was pointing out these idols are, are not good in, in, in their life and they're worshiping other things rather than God. And, and I tell you, we all have idols. It might not be worshiping pool cues and totem poles or tiki torches or whatever wood visible thing, but we, we, we worship idols through screens we worship idols in, in the workplace that we have. We worship idols in the team that we cheer for. We worship idols in, in our own uh, desire. And we think it's a right and comfort to be happy and to be secure in what we have. We all have idols and God's calling us all. If you want to find strength in me, if you want to find the fight, the battles in your life, it starts with right here. The battle starts with here. It's not It's not King Jong-un or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or racist, the enemy. And yes, there is an enemy that's an unseen enemy in the world out there. The devil is real. He is the real enemy out there. And we need to battle with God's help out there, the battle. But the battle starts right here. Can I tell you, we are strong as our heart is pure and devoted to God. If you're wondering where, why am I not walking in strength? Am I not walking? I feel like I'm just so weak. Is it possible that there's something not pure in your heart that you need to give over to God and give her that, that idol that's there that's keeping you back and holding you back? And see, God grabbed hold of Gideon and called him. Hey, mighty warrior, it's time to step up. Well, I think it's, it, it's interesting that, you know, you know, ready to go, ready to go in battle. And, and Gideon goes, hold on just a second. And I think, you know, again, he's, he's kind of a recovering B-teamer, B-team mentality. He goes to God, he goes, excuse me a second. Um, uh, yeah, great, but how, Lord, how do I know really it's you? Now, I don't know if you ever heard the term putting out the fleece. It comes from Gideon. And it's a funny little story because Gideon, is, he, he makes a deal with God and God's like, ah, sure, I'll play along. He goes, so Gideon goes, how about this guy? Like, I'm going to put my blanket my, off my bed, I'm going to put it out in the lawn, okay? And so like, what if like in the morning, you know, when, if there's dew on, you know, on it and there's not dew on the grass, I'll know that, that you're really speaking to me. God's going, sure, I'll play along. So the next day, 
guess what? There's only dew on the blanket and the fleece blanket. There's none on the grass. And then, then you're like, okay, that's good. Um, can we try, can we go two for two, Lord? <laughs> can we do that? Can we, can we, how about this? How about like flip it? Okay. How about like, I wake up in the morning and if there's, you know, dew on the, you know, on the, on the grass and not on the blanket, then we got a deal. Well, guess what? How many know God's good? Coming through when it when it, on the on the test of stepping how, us stepping out of our comfort zone, he comes through with that. And I don't know about you, they you know if you ever put a fleece out, and you maybe not be thought of it that way, but I think we kind of do that all the time. It, you know, when you know you got to do something, you got you you know uh, uh, it, you got to confront somebody. You know, maybe it's work, and you're like, okay, if they pass my my workspace, if they if they if they come by and and they say hi or they talk to me in the next. 15 minutes, and all of a sudden they come by. I'm like, oh, crap. Shoot. Okay, God, can we try this again? What, what if they come by, and they bring me coffee, and then they bring you coffee or something? You know, or, or you've done this before. I got to really, really talk to my neighbor, but, but, but I don't want to do that because the little dog and the kid issue and all that, and I don't want to do this. I don't want to confront my neighbor. And Lord, you, he, just, you know, he just has to be in the front yard uh, watering his grass. And it's like, oh, it's December. He's not watering his grass. And get, but lo and behold, you drive by, your neighbor's out there with a the hose. You're like, oh, come on, right? And you're like, I need to, you know, if my dog wags his tail like three or four times in a row, then I'm going to talk to somebody. I mean, we do crazy stuff. We make stuff up to try to get assurance and we we're putting it off and we're living this beats him mentality. And so after all that pushing through his history, his hangups, no more excuses, Gideon steps up and he steps out of his, his insecurity into God's strength. And it happens in such one of the wackiest and unorthodox battle plans you could ever read in scripture. It's really comical. What happens is Gideon, he, he rallies the army. They're all unified together because part of it was so amazing was, man, they didn't like him for a while. He was tearing down all these idols and everything. But you know what's so powerful about Gideon is that he stepped up. And people followed, I tell you, people follow leadership. And they followed him and they united around him. And they didn't like him at first, but he hang, hung in there and he, he built credibility and said, we're going to go, we're going to, we've come together, we've dealt with it right here. We're going to go and fight the war out there. So they gather, they got 32,000, 32,000 soldiers. Awesome, right? And they're ready to battle. The only problem is, Historian scholars say that Midianites probably had at least over 100,000. It's like, mm, that's not really great odds, but okay, we're going to fight, right? We got God on our side. It's going to be good. We're going to fight. And, and so God goes along, whoa, whoa, wait, no, no, you, 32, that's too many soldiers. Like, what? Really? It says this. He says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. He says, I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me and my own strength has saved me. So he tells Gideon to send 22,000 troops home. They got 10,000 to face 100,000. Not great, really. That's one in 10. That's not good odds at all. And the guy goes, uh, I want to I cut down to my varsity team a little bit farther. He says, how about this? Take them all down to the water and uh, let's see how they drink. So all these soldiers are drinking water and, and God says, hey, the guys that are, you know, scooping up water and drinking it with their hands, I want you to send those guys home. But the guys that are lapping it up with like a dog, keep those guys. Well, who drinks? 
I drink water like human beings. I'm not a dog. Well, there's only 300 of them left after that. The, the rest of them are all gone home. Now you got 300 and now you got 100,000. You kidding me? God <laughs> comes along and says, yep, that's the team that I want. That's what I'm looking for. He says, there's way too many. Take them down the water and I will thin them out there. And Gideon, they, they, they do this work. And I tell you this, it's not great odds, but you can, you can know this. What matters most is not your size, but the faith you express through obedience. Right? What matters most to God, to remind you this, it's not, it's not how big you are, how great you are, how great your army is, or how many people you have, but the faith you have expressed, and this is the key, through obedience. It's amazing what God can do with a few. All through history and all through time, it's unbelievable. And this army that was raised up, facing incredible oppression, they realized the battle plan was, was the fact that God was going to do something so unreal and so amazing that only God would get the credit. Can I tell you, God doesn't look for qualified people. He looks for willing hearts that are obedient, that step out in faith. So listen, you can say you have faith, but until you, until you step in obedience, it's not true faith. God's calling each and every one to step out of our insecurities into his strength. And Gideon had the assurance, all the odds were against him, that God was with him. And so it's amazing as they come together, got the confidence that Gideon had, because listen to the weaponry you have. It's a bit, a bit understated. It says as he divided the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets, empty jars in their hands of all of them with torches inside. I'm like, torches, jars, and trumpets. I'm like, are we sending a band in? Like, how about like swords, shields, and chariots? Okay, I'm kind of liking that type of weaponry. Nope. Well, I love how this B teamer steps up to his A game. Listen to Gideon when he says, here they got... Really, what do they got? These, these, aren't, these are tools, not really, not really weapons. But he tells them, he says this, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do, as I do. Don't you think, I just think, I love that. Listen, if there was ever a time in history that leaders need to rise up and to take charge, it's now. The people to step up, moms and dads and students and kids and older and younger and, and teachers, employers, employees, team members, team people to step and say, hey, watch me. Watch my example. This is Gideon. This is the dude that's hiding before and he finds this new confidence in, in the Lord and all that God's done has changed his heart. He's going, man, watch me. Take my lead. And can I challenge us all? It's time to go first. It's time to step up and be first. You're thinking, oh, I think that's kind of backwards. You're supposed to be last. I get that. First, not in line, first in serving. What would happen, you guys right here, this group here, people of the first service, people a part of this church, the people in this community, that, that we would reach out in such a way that we would love first, that we would care first, that we would serve first, that we'd reach out first. We would be the ones. We would be the ones stepping out of our insecurity and stepping into the strength, not our strength, God's strength. It's a step of obedience and trusting. And you're like, I just got jars and I've got, I, I've got a trumpet and I've got a, 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 
Bic lighter, torch or something? Okay, I don't have much to work with. God's not worried about that because he is the one that's going to fight our battles. It's our choice to step, it's our choice to step out of our insecurity into his strength. So they're all good together. And if you're going to, you know, go fight the enemy, make sure they're asleep first. Surprise is the best element of, of strategy of war. And it says when when I, he's telling, this is him, I, Gideon, you know, the, the B-teamer, kind of hiding guy, he says, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, Braveheart moment, okay? Braveheart moment. Here it is. There's three companies, three, you know, hundred, 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 and they're all surround the camp. They're all going, shh, quiet. They're all sleeping. Okay, we're going to uncover our torches, we're going to break the jars, we're going to grab our trumpet, we're going to blow it, and then we're going to shout the sword and the Lord and for Gideon. And they do that, and then they break it, and they blow it, and they go, sword and the Lord and Gideon, and they take off, and they, and they brought so much confusion. It freaked everybody out, all the Midianites. And listen to what happened. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men... The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn each other with their swords. They ended up killing, you know, slashing each other in the process. And I tell you, when, when God calls us and we step in obedience to what he has, he brings success. In fact, it's this, God is always with us and stronger than anything or anyone against us. Can I tell you, when we step into that, out of our insecurity, into that strength that's so powerful, and he accomplished it. And you and I can look back at how work that God did in our life and accomplished it and go, yes, he did. And he's not done. There's more to do. But the battle, can I challenge us, is not the battle just out there. The battle is right here. Gideon was not the hero of this story. God was. Why? Because it was the most unorthodox, just wacky way that God worked in such a way and using the most insecure person in scripture to do it through. And then I kind of go, oh, that looks familiar there. That sounds familiar. If you, God, you can do that through that guy. You can do it through me and you can do it through all of us. To step out of our insecurity into his strength. That's you and that's me. To get off the bench Going back to work, going back to school, stepping out. I don't know what that looks like. It might be stepping out of your insecurity, your, in your comfortable little bubble and saying, you know what, I'm going to jump in and, 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 and serve our, our kids' ministry this fall. I'm going to jump in. You'll hear some weeks to come how I can be involved in being a part of a small group. Or even, can you think of maybe this year God would call you to lead a small group? Me? To do that? Well, a B-team mentality won't, but a person that says, no, I'm stepping out of my insecurity into the strength I have. I, 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 I couldn't do that. I couldn't talk to those. I couldn't. Oh, okay. Well, think about that. What if you, what if you stepped out of your insecurity into my strength? Oh, I, I don't know if I could ever, you know, that, confront that person and what's happened. I, don't, I just couldn't even see them. What if you actually did the opposite? What if you stepped out of your insecurity and actually went over with God's help and God's strength and stepped into what he has for you to bring reconcile, reconciliation to that relationship. What might it be to do? But here's the kicker in the whole thing. Can't do it alone. It has, 
at the end of the day, it's not your strength, it's God's strength to accomplish that work. It goes back to the work that Jesus did for us already in the war. They'd already won the battle, and that's the cross. I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready here in a moment. We're going to participate in a time of communion. Our team's coming forward as we prepare for that. And as, as we do... Before we leave here today, and I know you're smelling hot dogs and getting hungry here. As they get ready, can I, can I just share something real personal with you? And I, I think it might, hopefully it might speak to you and where you're at in your context of life. I shared about my counselor. And like I said, I didn't really want to do that. I just felt like that, I don't know. Just, but I knew at the, and I could say today it was really well worth it. I've learned in my life, maybe you, that you know how, how we're shaped is by how we're loved and by how we've been hurt. really comes down to that. And he peeled down back a few layers and helped me going, and really going back to, okay, what's behind all this? And he said, uh, there's people who have hurt you. There's a season I went through in my life where you know, some hurt happened. And, and so he took a whiteboard and he said, let's just write all the people that hurt you during that time. I'm like, no. <laughs> Thanks, but no thanks. Okay, not really. No, no, he goes, I think this would be really good for you. And so we wrote down all the names of people mentioned. And then he says, what I want you to do, I want you to take that list back. And I want you to go, and I want you to, uh, you know, think about how they hurt you by what they said and what they did. And so I remember right away driving back on, we're going to take care of this now. We're going to do it right now and get this done with. And so and then I took the list back a couple weeks later. I said, good, we do that. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take that list. I want you to pray over it. And in fact, invite somebody to pray with you. And I was out and about in time and I wasn't sure. I knew I needed to do this. And so one day I said, God, I'm just going to do this. I, it was a hot summer day, uh, July. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this sabbatical thing, I'm going to do this thing, Okay. And so I went down by myself to Taylor Dock down in, down in uh, Fairhaven. I was walking along the dock. I got the list. I'm like, okay, God, here I am. And I don't know if you've ever had, like, not a very spiritual time. You're supposed to do something spiritual. Like, this is not really, I'm not feeling it. Should I put some worship music on or something to kind of get me in mood, right? And I'm just not feeling it. But God, I'm going to be obedient, right? Because faith is not feelings. It's um, steps. So I'm going to do this. And so I found this little bluff up above the, the overlooked Taylor Dock, and there's this bench, and you can go there sometime, you go, hey, there's the bench, and this little bench up there, I got up there, and I'm watching people, and I'm like, God, I got this list, I'm sitting here, what do you want me to do, and I just felt like, well, I'll just pray over the list, and I, and as I was looking over the list, I looked out in the harbor, and I saw all these little boats, and it reminded me what I said right here, months before, even when the service, when I shared this, but it, it came back to the words that I preached, and what it was is that in fact, there's, there's a sailboat out there now. I said, hey, it's kind of like harboring bitterness is like having harbor, like boats in your own harbor of your heart that you need to pull the anchor and set them a sail. Well, preaching to myself that day, that all came back. And these are little boats in the harbor, these people that I need to pull the anchor and set them a sail. So I went through the list. There's like a dozen people went through the list. And I felt okay about that, but I didn't feel relieved. There wasn't really anything like, okay, I did it. And then I felt like it was unresolved, like, okay, there's got to be more. And I said, well, there's, is there, I'm missing somebody on the list. And I felt God saying, yeah, you did. I'm like, well, who is it? I'm just like, God, you know, he goes, don't, don't you know who it is? I'm like, no, <laughs> me. 
What I came to the thing is I looked over that list. My counselor even said, hey, what do you think of this list? What's your reaction? I said, well, I was, I'm really disappointed. He goes, oh, all those people disappoint me? No, not so much that I disappointed them, that I let everybody down on that list. And so I prayed over that list. I prayed for myself. I, I said, God, I just want to release the, any kind of bitterness I have in my own heart about myself. And my guilt and all that I felt, and I, and I pulled that anchor going, I want to set a sail. And I remember that day, it was like a, I was, you know, you ever had like a benchmark moment? It was like, I'm literally on a bench, okay? This is a benchmark moment. And I prayed, it was like a burial of my old self. Honestly, it really felt like this was a marker for me. It's almost like a, you know, you see like a, a gravestone, like a person passed, like there's a memorial there. And I don't know who the dude's name is on that bench. <laughs> you know, they all have like memorials, but that is my memorial bench. A reminder was, and I took that back to my counselor, and here's the big part of this. I said, why did I feel that way? Why did I feel like I let all those people down? Legitimately, those people did hurt me. There's people on that list. They really did, right? But why did was I, why was I holding that on? And it came back to this B-team mentality. And I felt like God in that bench that day was saying, I want you to know that I, I came that Christ is saying to me, I came and I died and arose again so you no longer have to have a B-team mentality. I died on the cross so that you can live and be and function and flow as, a, as an A-team player. In fact, everybody, everybody that has turned their life over to Christ is on the A-team. Listen, if you're here this morning and you feel the same way that I've felt at times, you just feel less than, not good of, not make it, and, and you've been rejected, you've been caught, you've been hurt, you've been passed over, all of that, God does not see you that way. He says, you're on my team. You're a starter. You are the A team. Because what I did accomplished through my son on the cross for you.